today is Palm Sunday, and, and uh, that is the Sunday we remember that a week before Jesus was crucified, he came into, the, uh, into Jerusalem with the people praising his name, accepting him as the Messiah, um, and, and the people laid down palm branches in their cloaks, and he came in on a donkey, and, and then uh, a colt, a, a, a colt, and then a donkey colt, a little baby donkey. Anyway, um, I, and then, and then uh, throughout the week, there are different aspects of the week. They call it the Holy Week, but there's different aspects of the week that we, we remember uh, and uh, on obviously Friday, it's called Good Friday because that's the, the day on which Jesus was crucified. And while I, 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 there, there are some real technical ways that we know that it was a Sunday that he rose from the dead, a Friday that he passed, and, and a Sunday that he did enter into Jerusalem triumphantly. Um, I won't go into that, but um, because this week... We do celebrate Good Friday. We thought it would be appropriate to have the Lord's Supper today and uh, focus the, the sermon on that. So we will be in 1 Corinthians 11. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 11. And this is Paul writing about the last time Jesus had a Passover meal with his disciples. The church in Corinth um, we're learning in our Sunday school class, had lots of issues. They were a, a civilization with no concept of the one true God, and the church started. And once the church started there, there was a lot of confusion on what uh, was appropriate for Christianity. And uh, their confusion is our benefit because Paul wrote down lots of good instruction on what's supposed to happen in the church. And one of those is how to do the Lord's Supper. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul leaves these instructions. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray over these verses this morning. God, as we think of these, these verses that speak of communion, the Lord's Supper. I pray that we would focus our heart on you, that we would remember what it is that this bread and this juice is symbolizing. And I pray we'd rejoice and be thankful for salvation, that we would praise you today for those who have trusted in you, that it would just be a day of rejoicing and thanksgiving that we have eternal life where we sit. And God, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, I pray that they would hear of the joy and the hope that you give and that they would come to know you today before they leave the building, that they would turn their life over to you 
Speak to us today, and Lord, I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Salvation is, it can be difficult to explain. It is, it is straightforward, it's simple, but if you don't understand what's being said, it can be difficult. And in the 15th century, during the Middle Ages, it was, it was uh, sometimes difficult to understand. In the, usually in the village, the priest was usually the most educated person. Um, he went to school and, and gathered this information, but most of the world was Catholic at the time, what we would call Catholic now. And uh, the services were done in Latin, and the Bible was read in Latin, but people didn't read Latin or understand Latin. They, they were not from, from Rome. And so they would go to church, and it was done in a language that they did not understand, and, and they had a hard time connecting. And when they did the Lord's Supper, or what the Catholics would call Eucharist, which means grace comes through, they, they believe that the grace of God comes through the act of taking the Lord's Supper. We believe that God's grace comes through placing your faith in Christ, that God's grace comes through Christ. But they, they would teach that the bread would miraculously turn into the body of Christ and the, the wine would miraculously turn into the blood of Christ. And when the priest would stand before the bread, he would say in, in Latin, he would say, hoc est corpus menum. And people who didn't know Latin and didn't understand it would eventually end up saying something like hocus pocus is what they would say. Because they would say, we don't understand what's happening, we don't understand Latin, and, and that's where the word hocus pocus comes from. That word hocus corpus meum is Latin for this is my body. But they don't understand it. And if you don't understand it, it becomes difficult to, to receive. And so that's now we use the word hocus pocus when we say something is magical or suspicious, we're not really sure it really happened. Um, but I, I want to make sure that, first of all, you understand the bread we're going to take today won't magically turn into the body of Christ. It is bread, and it always is bread, and when you take it, you'll digest it like bread. And this is grape juice, it's not wine, and you take that juice, and it will be juice, and you'll digest it just like you would any other juice, because it's not the bread and the juice, it is what it's symbolizing. It is a symbol. And as Jesus, standing there in bodily form, says, this is my body, pointing to the bread, it was obvious that he was using a metaphor, that this is a symbol for my body. There's symbols that, that, brought us, uh, that, that Jesus brought to us to talk to us about his body and his blood. And the Lord's Supper is, is just a simple way that we regularly give thanks for the salvation that comes through Christ. And so we're thankful. Those who have Christ today, we, we should be thankful for, for salvation. And so we're going to look at here, and, and we're going to see Christ was thankful, and if Christ was thankful, we too should be thankful. And first, we see that we can give thanks. We, we give thanks for the sacrifice of His body. Paul said, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed... He took bread, and when he had given thanks, 
he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We take the Lord's Supper because we're thanking God for the sacrifice of his body. In the night in which he was betrayed, he sat there with the 12 disciples around the table, and one of them is staring him in the eye, and Jesus knows this guy is going to sell me out, and it will lead to my death in a matter of hours. And it's at that time he takes the bread, and he thanks God for the sacrifice. That was a normal thing to do. This was a Passover dinner. We read that in Scripture. He had the, the disciples prepare for the Passover. And, and so they're in the middle of this Passover. And at some time in the Passover, they are to take the bread and they break it. And, and they say a blessing, something like this. Blessed are you, O Lord God, the King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to eat unleavened bread. That was probably the thanks he gave. Thank you, God, for this bread. He broke it, and as the disciples were ready to put it into their mouth, he said something that was never said at a Passover dinner before. This is my body, right before they're putting it in their mouth. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they stopped and said, this is my body. God brings bread to come out from the ground. Jesus, in a matter of days, would come up out of the ground, so to speak. He was reminding them that this was, this was, his, his, this was going to be about his sacrifice. So why would he give thanks? Why would he thank God for the sacrifice, knowing that in just a matter of hours he would start these fake trials that would falsely accuse him of blasphemy that would lead to his death? Why would he give thanks for that? Well, first he, gave, he would give thanks because the prophecies that had long awaited the Messiah coming to save his people were going to be fulfilled in just a matter of hours. Prophecies like Psalm twenty-two, sixteen and 18. The psalmist says this, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil, evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count them. I, I, can, I can count all my bones. Look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. David wrote that centuries, millennial before Christ even showed up on the scene, and it's going to be fulfilled in just a matter of time. And Christ knows salvation is coming. It's going to be at the cost of his body, but it's coming, and he's thankful. Prophecies like Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Christ knew that it was going to cost him his body. He was going to physically die. 
but he says all the iniquity of every person who has ever lived, who was living now, and who will ever live in the future, those sins were laid upon that body. So he could kill that body and sin would be dealt with. And so he breaks the bread and says, thank you, God, for being the provider. He was, he was thankful. He gives thanks to the Father because those prophecies that began in Genesis 3 about the, the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent started. And throughout Scripture, there is a prophet coming. And Deuteronomy, it says it's like Moses. And Malachi says there's a prophet coming like Elijah. And these prophecies throughout all the Old Testament in just a matter of hours would be fulfilled. He was thankful for the prophecies being fulfilled. He was also thankful knowing that salvation was going to come, and there was no other way that salvation could have come. It was through Jesus Christ, and it's still through Jesus Christ and Him alone. He says, yes, I've got to die so salvation can come. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated His love for us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not when we get our lives straightened out. It's not when we turn our lives around that we somehow can manage enough good works that we end up being saved. It is when we're in the muck and the mire of our sin and find no way out. That's when Christ Jesus died for us and said, I can save you and I can pull you out and, and make you whole. It's in that condition. And Acts 4.12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Christ is the absolutely only way to be restored to God. The salvation only comes through Christ. The world would want you to think that as long as you're good, as long as you're light in the world, they like to say that now, it sounds very spiritual, as long as you're good and, and light in this world, whatever path you choose will eventually lead to God. Scripture says, nope, one path, one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no other name. And Christ is standing there at the Lord's Supper thinking salvation has to come to these people. And he knows I'm the only way that it can be done. Christ is the only way. And so as he breaks this bread and thinks, in just a matter of hours, my body is going to be broken and beat and humiliated. I thank you, Lord, that it's through that that salvation is going to start coming to people in a way it had never come to before. So he's thankful. He's thankful for that. Matthew 16, 16 through 20, or 24 through 26. See, salvation is about abandoning my good works. It's about abandoning what I think I can do in order to get in good with God. It's abandoning that and trusting wholly in the one name that salvation comes through. There's no other name. And Matthew, this is what Jesus said in, in Matthew, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is saying there, it's not, if you're trying to save your life, you're trying to do everything you can to save your life. If you keep working and trying to save it, you will lose your life. But if you give up your life and say, God, this life is no longer mine, I give it to you. Because I cannot save myself, and I deny myself, and take up my cross, and sacrifice myself in the name of Christ. He says, then I'll find my life. That's where life is found. It's found in Christ. It's on the cross. And so Jesus breaks the bread at that moment, and he says, this is like my body. It's going to go through some painful horrible stuff in the next few hours, but salvation is going to be found through that and nothing else. So thank you, God. And he says, I want you guys to do this on a regular basis. And when you do, remember that. Do this in remembrance of me. He said, when you take the bread and eat it, we are to remember. We're to remember that Christ had a physical body. That means he just didn't, he wasn't God distant from us who doesn't understand what it means to be human. He took on an additional nature. He was fully God. He became fully human and had two natures. And so he understands what it means to be a human, tempted in every way but without sin. He knows what it means to go hungry. He knows what it means to be tired. He knows what it means to lose people that he loves in death. He he understands those kind of things because he is human. He says, remember that. We remember when we take this bread that there is salvation in no one else. There is only one path to God and it is through Jesus Christ. Remember that. He says, remember these things. Remember that it was Christ who was beat and nailed to a cross and died a torturous death in my place. I deserve that death And instead of me dying that death, he died in my place and I received his life. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. Every time we take communion, we are to remember to give thanks for Jesus' death and suffering. It seems illogical. Death and suffering is nothing we give thanks for. But we're thankful because that's how salvation comes to us. We do it with a thankful heart. We are thankful when we take the Lord's Supper for the sacrificed body. We also give thanks for the shedding of blood. It says in verse 25, In the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He took the cup, and again in the in the Passover, there are four times that they have a, a they drink from a cup and and say something, and this is uh, there's a lot of debate on whether this is the third cup or the fourth cup, and it doesn't rightly matter for our purposes. But he he gave a a blessing, probably something like this: "Blessed are you, Lord God, who has created the fruit of the vine." Blessed are you, Lord God, who has kept us alive and sustained us, enabled us to enjoy this season. Probably something of that regard. God is the the one who produces the fruit of the vine. 
And he takes the cup, and whether or not the disciples all had their individual cup, I kind of envision them taking their cups, coming up to their mouth, and right before they take it, he says, this is my blood. This is the new covenant, which is established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, in instituting a new way to do this. Things never heard at a Passover before. And they think through that and, and take their drink. The previous covenant, you know, was about the shedding of animals' blood. It was sacrificing of animals over and over again. I, I can't imagine what it looked like at the temple, at the altar. I'm assuming, and I'm not trying to gross anyone out, but I'm assuming it was a bloody mess. And he says, this new covenant that's coming is established in my blood. He's giving thanks for the shedding of his blood. In just a matter of hours, he is going to be, I'm assuming, bled dry for the sins of all the, all the world. And he says, I give thanks for that. The old, old covenant, again, was established by, by the, the killing of animals over and over, but the animals would never come, cover a human sin. They, they would kill and, and attempt to cover their sin like God commanded, but it would never do the trick. It would never completely do it. So they had to come back again and again. And so they'd bring lambs and they'd bring bulls and they'd bring doves and whatever it was that God commanded them for that particular sacrifice. But he could die because he was fully divine and fully human he could die for the sins of every person in the world and cover their sins, and it would be effective always. That's why when John saw him, I picture John pointing and shouting in John one twenty nine. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This isn't the lambs that we're sacrificing that, that won't really take away sin. This is the Lamb of God whose sins will take away the sins of the world. We're not saved by the blood of lambs. We're not saved by the blood of bulls. We are saved because Jesus Christ shed his blood for us. It was our blood that needed to be shed. When we see what he has gone through, um, when he was beat and, and uh, the crown of thorns and, and being nailed to the cross, which was essentially the most slow and torturous way the Romans could figure out to kill a person. And he slowly, he slowly died. Hebrews 9 says this, According to the law, one may also say, almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and listen, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. If Jesus hadn't died on the cross, what we celebrate this Good Friday, there would have been no forgiveness, and we would still have been offering inappropriate or in, in, ineffective offerings of lambs and, and bulls and and cows and goats. 
The law says when someone sins, something has to die. Doesn't matter what the sin is. When God's law is broken, whether it's a little lie, whether it's taking something that doesn't belong to you, whether it's just a little bit of rebellion, when someone sins, something's got to die. That's God's law. And the lamb of, I mean, the blood of lambs was insufficient for covering. And Hebrews 9.26 says that Christ is our sacrifice and his sacrifice is sufficient so we don't have to sacrifice him over and over again. It's once and for all. He has forgiven us through his blood. Hebrews 10.11 and 12 says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Does that not sound like the epitome of, of just you know, spinning your wheels of, of ineffectiveness? He's over and over again, he's sacrificing these things that will never take away sin. And then it says in verse 11, praise God, it says, He, having offer, offered one sacrifice, for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. And he sat down because there was nothing else to do. His job was done. The, there was no chair in the temple because the priest's job was never done because we all sin and we all need covering. There was nothing to cover it. So they were just constantly killing things, trying to get the blood to cover the sin, and it wasn't working. And Jesus offers one sacrifice that's good for everyone. And he sits down, kicks back, and says, my job's done. Because forgiveness comes through the blood. And so we thank God for the shedding of his blood. He sat down because Jesus' blood washed our sins away. It is a morbid picture of being washed in blood, but that's the image Scripture teaches us. Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're like crimson, they'll be like wool, the most white thing that they could come up with at that time. Our sins will be washed. Where Our sins are like red, like scarlet, and then Jesus' blood washes us clean, and when God looks down at us, he says, I see a pure person. I see one who is innocent. Even though we know we're not, that's how God sees us, because of Jesus' blood washed us clean. Psalm 51, 17, sorry, it's 51, 7. David, in his confession to God, says, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. That hyssop is what they use to sprinkle the blood of the lamb to take away the sins or attempt to. He says, Purify me with the blood, and I'll be as white as snow. When we've trusted in Christ, if you're here today and you've said, I have given up trying to be good enough to get in God's good graces, but I've trusted in Christ alone for my salvation, your sins are washed away. Washed away. Not just your past sins or your sins up to this moment, but every sin that you'll ever commit in your life has been washed away. 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how powerful it is. And so when he takes this cup and he's, he's about ready to drink, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is going to show you that the blood of lambs that this is celebrating, the Passover, the blood that went over the, the doorpost of, the, of the, the life, that is that is not the picture anymore. It's, it's my blood that washes us clean. It's my blood that has death pass over you. This is the new covenant, and it's established in my blood that's effective to wash away all your sins. So when you drink it, remember that. When you do that, remember when you take the grape juice. We're going to remember him. We'll take this little cup of grape juice. It's not the big chalice maybe that he had. I don't know if they shared or if they, they probably shared, if they had their own cups. It, it doesn't, again, rightly matter because we're, we're symbolizing what this blood is. we got these little bitty cups, really good grape juice in it. But when we take it, we're remembering it's Jesus' blood that I have forgiveness. I'm only saved because Jesus bled out on the cross. I, I'm not saved by the blood of lambs. I'm laved, saved by the blood of lam, the Son. Okay, I'm not saved by lambs. I'm saved by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's His blood that saves me. Remember that His blood washes us so pure that our sins are washed away and God looks down and says, that's a person I can have an intimate relation with and there's no barrier between me and that person anymore. So we thank God for the shedding of his blood. We thank God for the shedding of blood and, and we thank God for the sacrifice of his body, but we also give thanks for his second coming. We give thanks for his second coming. Verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When, as someone who has trusted in Christ and trusted in the sacrifice of his body, the shedding of his blood, I like this part the best because <laughs> it says he's coming back. The same Christ who died on the cross and came as a humble human and was, was, came as the humble servant and was beat and sacrificed and died and laid in a tomb, that Christ is coming back. And he's coming back not as a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a feeding trough. He is coming back as the conquering and he's going to set things right. And we're thankful for that. Because whatever's going on right now isn't the end. Whatever it is that is, that is weighing us down isn't the whole story. The king is coming. And he's going to set things straight. And he gives us a promise of victory. John, 1 John 5, 5 says, Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Will you put your trust in him and you have overcome the world? Whatever the world throws at you, and they can throw, it can throw evil stuff and terrible stuff, stuff that ends in our physical death, but we have overcome it because Jesus Christ, we've trusted in Jesus Christ. Because he broke his body and he shed his blood. 
And every time we celebrate communion, every time we taste this bread, every time we taste this cup, we're not only celebrating the cross, we're celebrating Jesus coming again. The Jews would say um, at Passover, maybe next year in Jerusalem is what they say. And I like to say every time we take communion, maybe this is the last time we'll have communion here. Because maybe Christ will come back and the next time we have the bread and the cup will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb face to face with our Savior. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be an awesome time? The Lord's Supper will literally be supper with the Lord. And we won't need symbols and we won't need little cups of bread, but it'll be a celebrating the marriage with our groomsmen. That is, that is what we're celebrating 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. And that means those who have died. The word asleep there is just a, is, is just a, a euphemism for, for death. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, will bring with Christ, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Those who have died are going to come back with Christ. For this we say to you by word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice from the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead and Christ will rise first. Their bodies will be in the ground, their souls will be up with the Lord and they will rise up from the dead. Their souls and their bodies will be joined. They'll be changed, First Corinthians tells us, to an immortal form, whatever that looks like. Looks a lot like Jesus did when he rose again from the dead is my guess. And they'll be forevermore with the Lord. And then he says, then we who are alive will remain and we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. First Corinthians again says, we will be raised up with him and we'll be changed in an instant in a twinkling of an eye. And this, in, this, this corruptible will put on incorruptibility and the in, this mortal will put on immortality and we will be changed, it says in First Corinthians 15. And then it says, those who are alive will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Does that not bring comfort? Does that not bring a thankfulness? When we take the Lord's Supper, we're not doing an empty ritual that we just have to do every so often. We are saying, thank you, God, for your body, which was broken instead of mine. Thank you for the shedding of blood that washes my sins away. So I stand perfect before the Lord. I'm not perfect. But God chooses to see me perfect because of the blood. And then I celebrate because one day I won't have to do the bread and the little cups of wine. To sit at the table with my Savior and celebrate with Him forever. And when we do the Lord's Supper, Paul gives us more instruction. 
He says in 28, a man must examine himself. And in doing so, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. Whoever eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he doesn't judge the body rightly. When we take this bread and drink this cup, we're saying, I have taken in Jesus' body and blood. I have received him into my life. And someone who is not trusted in Christ, and they've done this, they're mocking the body of Christ. They're saying it really doesn't mean what he says it means. It's not all that important. It's just an empty ritual. There's a danger in that. He says you eat and drink judgment on yourself. So we're going to have the Lord's Supper, but beforehand we're going to have a time of response. And you need to examine yourself. And the examination is not, am I a sinner? Because the answer is yes, we are. We can answer that now. We, We are not... We are not worthy to, to take the Lord's Supper. But it doesn't say, come if you're worthy. He says, come to celebrate and be thankful for the salvation that comes. So we take it as believers. Those who are believers are welcome to take this with us. If you've trusted in Christ, you're welcome to take this, this supper with us. If you're not a believer, I would encourage you to trust in Christ beforehand because it's not the supper, it is the salvation that we've been talking about. And we'll have a time of response that you can come and receive Christ right now if that's what you want. Maybe there is a sin, a besetting sin in your life that you feel like I need to get right beforehand. You could take time to do that as well. I'm going to have a time of prayer here and we'll stand like we normally do and maybe you'll want to come forward and pray with me. Maybe there's someone right beside you and you can grab them and you can pray with them however the Lord has you respond. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you right now and God, we are thankful that salvation was your plan because our plan would have looked a little bit like this, this meaningless spinning of the wheels of trying to do enough good works and never having enough And so, God, I thank you that you sent your only son to become a human, to take on all my sin, so that I could receive life. I thank you for that. God, if there's no if there's someone here who has never trusted in you, I pray that they would. they would turn their life to you so that they could know the hope and the love that comes only from you. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. God, I pray that they would find you today. For those of us who have trusted in you, I pray that we are thankful and rejoicing and just will enjoy this Lord's Supper. Ask your spirit to move now. I ask your spirit to to move in our hearts in the manner in which you need it, need our hearts to be moved, that we would confess where confession is needed, we would be encouraged where encouragement is needed, we'd be strengthened where strength is needed, that you would just have your way with us at this time. And Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.